I love a beautiful lawn. You love a beautiful lawn. Everybody loves a beautiful lawn, but they don't love how long it takes and how difficult it can be. And that is where True Green comes into play because it's the easiest and most affordable way to get that beautiful lawn. Let's be real. You've got plenty of other things to do in your free time than focus on your lawn care. So let True Green take care of all of that hard work while you get to do everything else that you want to do like go play golf. Here's what you need to do. Visit truegreen.com. Okay. It allows you to do you let them do the lawn care. And if you visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, that is all guaranteed. You can trust true green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. It's truegreen.com. Get started now. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast, and we are headed to Maui, where the tour is going to kick off the decade with the Century Tournament of Champions, and we've got to talk through the course preview, the field preview, a little bit of DraftKings, and betting action as well. And to do that, I'm going to bring in Greg Ducharme. Welcome back to the show, Greg. So happy to be here. I can't believe the golf season is underway. I'm ready to go. I think this is 2020 is going to be a great year in the game of golf. Yeah, I mean, it really is. Uh, we, we previewed this a little bit, but like, it's so deep. Tiger's back. There's so many studs. Uh, like 2020 is shaping up to be something really special. I completely agree. I, I mean, you look at the, the depth of the PGA Tour, and there are some of the players that we're going to talk about today that uh, I think are going to do really well this week. And some of those players are, are Hall of Fame players that we haven't even been talking about. They're kind of forgotten players. So we kind of look through this, especially starting with this field this week, and there are some really interesting storylines, some players I know I'll be watching throughout the year, especially this week. Um, and, and there's another really interesting storyline here, too, with uh, a little Patrick Reed and Kevin Kisner. Yeah, I, I, uh, we're going to talk about that, but before we do so, you know, it is dwindling down on the decade here. Our new decade, our new year is starting up. Do you have any, whether it's golf resolutions or any resolutions that, uh, you'll be looking forward to in 2020? So I'm not a big resolution guy. I, me, I, me neither, me neither. That's, that's good. Yeah. They, they kind of bother me. I, I don't think there's ever a time in your life where you need, uh, you need a, a specific date. I don't think you need a new year to do something new. I don't think you need a new year to start getting in better shape or eating better. I, I think that's something you got to make a choice on your own and you got to make that happen. Uh, and, and you don't need a new year to do it. I think New Year's resolutions are temporary things. And I think they, that's one of the reasons why they always dwindle out. But that being said, for me this year, and these are things that I've already started, I'm, I'm going to get uh, much more healthy from a fitness perspective. I've, I've started getting in the gym a little bit, working out a little bit. And as I get a little bit older and my time gets a little um, more challenging to manage, it's something I don't want to forget about. So I'm, I'm making a big effort right now, and that will continue into this year to um, to keep up with my fitness and my diet. It's just something I've been and as I've been speaking to people that I that I know, people that I teach, people that I talk to, uh, and and have had the chance to interview, the the way that we eat is 
really bad. And, and it's kind of scary to hear what everybody has to say. So that's something on my mind this year. Uh, my fitness is on my mind this year. And of course I, I have a, a book list that I'm dying to get into and the book list just keeps on getting longer and longer. So, uh, I, there's a lot for me to, to accomplish and get into this year, but I'm not going to call it a resolution. I, I tend to agree with you. I don't necessarily do resolutions. I, I, I do make a lot of goals though. I make a lot of, uh, personal goals, professional goals. Um, and, and I, I try to quantify them, right? I say, I want to read five books or whatever it is. That way I can't right. just say, you know, read more. Reading more than what I read now is like uh, a couple of tweets, quite frankly. So, <laughs> uh, so that, that's on my mind. And I always have a handicap goal, you know, trying to get the handicap under a certain digit. For 2020, I think it's going to be eight, but, uh, I've been stuck at, I've been stuck at like eight and a half for, for quite some time. Well, so hey, I, you I just made know. a big investment, right? To help yourself out with that. You don't even have to go to the golf course to practice now, right? <laughs> that's right. Put the, put the putting green in, in the backyard. My wife, uh, that took a lot of convincing, but we're, we made it happen. And yeah, I, I now did no investment excuse. and that will add value to your home. That is that's a right. value adder. I promise. And I've got no excuse to miss those three footers anymore. So, uh, here, here's to 2020. All right, uh, let's jump into this. Century Tournament of Champions, it is uh, the only event where you have to qualify by winning an event the year previous. So there are 42 eligible champions for this week, but we're only going to see 34 of them in the field. Uh, notably absent will be Tiger Woods, Brooks Kepka, Shane Lowry, Rory McIlroy, Phil Mickelson, Francesco Molinari and Justin Rose. Uh, let's remove Tiger from that list because I feel like that's always the default answer, Greg. Uh, which one of these guys are you are you missing out on the most? I think I'm missing out on Rory. I, I would love to see Rory get started. And if Tiger's the default answer, I think Rory's <laughs> the ne very next on the list, no question about it. Um, I, I think I understand where Brooks Kepka's coming from. It makes sense that he would miss. If I were coaching him, I'd recommend that he that he takes this week off. I, I think that makes sense. He's got to get himself healthy and ready to go for what seems to be the only things that matter to him. And, and that season will start in April, make no mistake about it. But um, back to Rory, I, I think for Rory – kind of getting back on this momentum that he carried at to into the end of 2019, highlighted by winning the uh, PGA Tour Player of the Year, the FedEx Cup playoffs, all of that. There, there was a lot of momentum that he was building on. And I, I think it's going to be important for Rory to get off to a good start early this year. So I was kind of hoping to see Rory play this week. Um, my belief is that Rory is, is um, the, the early stages of the year are very important. And, and I think he can kind of, uh, come off of that momentum in 2020, and that will be a very important aspect for him going into uh, the the season of championships, particularly April. Yeah, it, it is really compelling, and I, I think there's a couple of names on this list that I'm I, like I don't want to fast forward through 2020. I want to enjoy it, but I'm very interested to see the way we're talking a year from now about Phil Mickelson and about someone like Francesco Molinari. You know, Mol Molinari who has the scar tissue from the masters. I mean, he came out and said that and, and he, he said, you know, this kind of, this kind of screwed me up and, and the results were indicative of it. And Phil Mickelson, who, you know, for the first time in his life, first time in a million years drops out of the world's uh, top 50. And now we're trying to figure out, is, is this it for Phil? Like, is this the downward trend? I mean, the guy's, what, 48 years old? I mean, it would, I would not blame yeah. him. I would not blame him if, if he was on the down end of his illustrious, amazing career. But I just like, like, I'm very interested to see where those two guys end up. They are very interesting cases. I, I, to me, Francesco Molinari interests me because at the end 
of 2018, that season, which ended with a 5-0 and Ryder Cup record and, and an open champion, he was the champion golfer of the year. It was an incredible season for him. To me, it felt like that season was the highlight of his career. And I thought yeah. 2019 was going to be a, a down year. I, I thought Francesco would kind of have, and, and he, it didn't. I was wrong in the early stages of the year. He he was a world beater at the API and at the Masters. It looked like he didn't know how to miss a shot. Watching that tournament with Tiger Woods trying to catch Francesco Molinari up until the 12th hole, I, I didn't think it was possible. I didn't think Francesco was going to miss the shot that he did. And it was very surprising to see him miss that uh, that shot on, on the, the 12th hole. So, But I, I don't know how Francesco is going to come back from that. I'm, I'm not sure what to expect out of him because we haven't really seen a lot of him in the fall. So he is a big question mark to me. Uh, on to Phil Mickelson, another very interesting player. I look at Phil's year last year and he was investing in the future to me. You, you hear him talk about hitting bombs and developing <laughs> his club head speed and getting his distance all together. And I know that on social media, hitting bombs has kind of become a, a trending topic that is, uh, you know, we laugh about it. It's a very funny thing. Oh, that's Phil being Phil. But Phil at 48 years old to me is investing in his future. And I am confident that Phil is, is thinking that this year he's going to be a able to play some really good golf. He just needed a little bit of club head speed. And in that search for club head speed, he sacrificed a little bit of control. And I would argue that Phil's going to come back a little bit stronger this year than he did last year. I hope so. I, I think the I think the the world of golf is better when Phil is not only awesome on social media and awesome inside the ropes, like you know when he's actually putting up putting up results. Um, so looking forward to it. But we do have a star-studded field here: John Rahm's here, Justin Thomas, Xander, DJ, Patrick Cantlay, Ricky Fowler's here. Like we've got big names, and Kapalua is a place that has hosted this tournament of champions every year since 1999. So we have a lot of information about it. When we talk about the plantation course at Kapalua, Greg, what's what's kind of the first thing that comes to mind? Well, it's a big ballpark, right? You, you have a par 73 yeah. golf course. That's something we don't have a lot on the PGA Tour. We don't see that a lot. So automatically, your mind goes to par fives. Par fives are going to be a very important thing. And then from there, aside from the par fives, you, you see extremely long tee shots at Kapalua. We, we've seen Dustin Johnson nearly make a hole-in-one on a 433-yard hole, the, the 12th hole, um, and that was just two years ago. So uh, as, along with the par fives, you have scoring opportunities in some of these shorter or, or just extremely downhill and sometimes downwind par five. So it's a, it's a golf course that has a, a tremendous amount of elevation. The fairways are very wide. Uh, you need the width to kind of control your golf ball as it moves side to side once it gets on the ground. It's a very interesting piece of property because the ball spends a lot of time on the ground. We think back to Bubba Watson hitting a driver off the deck on the 18th hole and how much time that ball, as it curved around the hazard from uh, from from right to left, it, it was on the ground for a tremendous amount of time. And it was nearly a 300-yard shot with a driver off the deck. And you see a lot of shots like that. So when, when I look at Kapalua, I think it's... It's a, a bomber's paradise in a sense. You're going to probably see the longest tee shot of the year this week at, at Kapalua. For sure. Have you played? Uh, have you played the plantation course or either of the Kapalua courses? Unfortunately, I have not. It's a, it's definitely something that fascinates me. Have you gotten out there? Well, I was out there for my buddy's wedding uh, last year, and we played the Bay Course, which is, I mean, awesome and plenty, plenty to handle, as you can imagine. Uh, but the wedding itself was actually on the plantation course, so like the cocktail hour was like on the tee of 
it would have been like, I don't know, 10 probably. And I was like, oh, I might just go for a quick little walk over here and, you know, see what's yeah. going on. I'll catch up with you guys. <laughs> I missed out on this wedding. Where was my invite? Come on. Yeah, you know what? <laughs> my band must have got lost in the, in the mail. But, um, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. So it, it is, it is, you know, big wide fairways, big wide, um, greens, but they're to your point about, about bombing it out there. Uh, DJ had an interesting quote because there have been some updates to Kapalua, um, which quote will make it a lot more difficult. And the way that I understood it that DJ kind of described this was, um, there's kind of more solidified or, um, distinct landing areas or tiers on these greens where before you might just be able to hit driver, uh, hit it into the middle of the massive greens and then take a putt at it wherever it's at. Uh, the way, the way that DJ seemed to be describing it was, um, this is now much more of a second shot course because you you need to be able to um, land it and get it to stay on the right tier. Are you are you buying into that or is this kind of what we would call in, you know, in the NFL or in the NBA, like coach speak, where they just kind of give you these quotes and we don't we don't know how it's actually going to play out until we see it happen. Well, you, you, that's exactly right. You don't know how you're going to you, you don't know until you see the way that it plays out. But when you when you deal with section greens, it, it's it brings up some interesting decisions to me because just. Just because the flag is on a section doesn't mean on every single hole you have to get your ball to stop on that section. So while there are certain times where you, in order to make a birdie, you got to get it up there close. But again, as I said, you have you have multiple, you have an extra par five, right? You got five par fives, and you got some short, drivable-ish par fours, and that gives you scoring opportunities. And when I look at this golf course, I think there are six or seven scoring opportunities where it's not really an iron shot into a green. It's a a, a really Maybe a putt for eagle and maybe a close wed, uh, a short wedge shot around the green. So in one sense, yes, you do have to, in order to get it close, you've got to get it on those tiers. But in another sense, you can take your medicine and putt over a tier. That's not necessarily a, a problem. So uh, being over aggressive is something uh, that sometimes when greens are, are sectioned off into tiers, it can invite that because you feel like a 40 foot putt from the wrong tier is going to be too difficult to two putt. So you get a little more aggressive, then you end up short-siding yourself in a bunker. So I think if you play this golf course in a patient manner, even though the winning score will be significantly under par, if you yeah. play it in a patient manner, the opportunities are out there. And I don't think you have to be overly aggressive with your irons to make birdies. Yeah, this already was one of the courses where uh, three putt percentage was the highest because they're just mad. Massive greens, right? Like you could be like 90 feet away. It invites a lot more three putts, but you're right. This, this is traditionally uh, a birdie fest and it's a resort course. This is where guys go, uh, for their wedding, you know, for their right. buddy's wedding, get a group of guys out there and play. Like it, this is, uh, it's a certainly a resort course and, and the, the winning scores have indicated that. So last year, Xander Shoffley wins at 23 under par and he absolutely just like, barnstormed uh, Gary Woodland on Sunday. He shot a 62. Gary Woodland standing there on 18 looking around like he just had this thing stolen from him. Yeah, and he then, shot five under. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like, yeah, Gary Woodland, you know, uh, wins that like 97% of the time, and he just gets this massive uh, massive round from Xander who goes nuclear and, and drops a 62 on him and walks away with the trophy. It's, it was it was unbelievable. Um, and 11 under par 62, mind you. 
Yeah, not not so bad. And and we've seen that in other years. Uh, DJ won it in 2018, 24 under. He beat John Rahm by eight shots. Uh, 2017, JT beat Hideki, uh, 22 under. Jordan Spieth, this is the tournament record, 30 under in 2016. That was an eight-shot victory. And Patrick Reed in 2015 at 21 under par. So, I mean, you're going to probably have to go out there and shoot what? I don't know, 24, 25 under par uh, to be raising the trophy on Sunday here. Yeah, it's a golf course. You got to be probably five or six under a day to, um, and it's probably closer to six or seven, honestly, to, to hold the trophy. And a really low round like Xander had last year is obviously something that's really going to help. But I go back to this. You start doing the math. If you figure you got five par fives and then you got another couple shorties out there, if you play really smart on some of these longer holes, cause it is a long golf course. It, it's at par 73, 7,500 yards. There are definitely some, challenging holes out there make no mistake about it so um but but in order to win this week i think it's going to take a player to be very patient at the right time and to be aggressive at the right time and the time to be aggressive is on those par fives and on those shorter shortish drivable par fours where you can get a really close flip wedge in your hand that that's where you're going to make your birdies this week and if you handle that and you avoid making bogeys you avoid three putts on these greens i think you're going to be in pretty good shape at the end of the week yeah, and one thing I want to uh, – before we move off of that, this course, um, uh, compared to a lot of other courses, I do think playing here and having experience helps because you mentioned it. The, the ball is on the ground for so long. And, you, you know, if you take it over the right side of the fairway, the ball's going to roll out 100 additional yards. And, and then if you take it over the left side, like there's some very specific uh, points that you have to hit around this golf course. And the fact that you can only play it if you are a champion – it leads to a lot of the field being here, you know, for the first time or one or two times. So in a way that, and I don't want to compare it to Augusta, but we always hear, you know, Augusta is so, has so many intricacies that you have to play it often. I, this to me is kind of similar just because it's not a regular rotation that anybody can get into and it's plays so different than a lot of other courses that we see. It's a very good point. And it, like you said, it's difficult to get into. It's difficult to gain the experience. So the, Players that have the experience, like Dustin Johnson, who's played in the event nine times and has, uh, don't forget, seven top tens and two wins. So he's played pretty well here. Uh, but but to, to play in this event nine times means you have nine seasons with a win on the PGA Tour. And, and DJ could have played in more. Right? There were two that he uh, that he didn't play in when he was eligible to play. But it's difficult to gain the experience. The one thing I will say is it's it's wide. And when you deal with wide fairways, you you open it up to you know players can get into that area where the second shot is kind of it may be a bad angle but they can still get it on the green and get get in there for a par you deal with the par five the tee shot's really wide you can hammer it away and if you're on the wrong side of the fairway you just leave yourself a 50 foot eagle putt and and so a lot of it comes down to what happens on the greens and the greens because of the wind and because of the slope they don't get overly fast they don't get to a point where like at augusta national they're going to be rolling at a 13 or a 14 or or, um, really fast like that You're, you're just not going to see that because of the uh, elements that the golf course can see. So I think that levels the playing field a little bit. I, I don't think you have to have great experience to play well here, but I do think that it helps um, in, in many cases. So um, I, I would go 50-50 on that, but I would say the, the advantage for a DJ is is there, but it's probably more so because DJ has won so many times in his career. He's just that's much stronger of a player, more so than, well, hey, he's got he's played this golf course uh, in nine tournaments. 
Yeah, it's funny. I um not to get too nerdy here, but I, I do a regression model for every course and I compare it to like what stats are uh, end up being most important at every course. And this week is, of course, it's always like the official money list, uh, strokes gain total. It's like, oh, that makes <laughs> yeah. sense. All of these guys are like the best in the world and you know, they all won right. the most money to get here. Like that. I'm, they're your winners probably. last week. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, all right. So we're going to go through, um, some of our, our favorite players for this week, both DraftKings and betting. But before we do that, Greg, um, the golf gods have shined down on us and the universe has aligned to give us a Patrick Reed, Kevin Kisner pairing. And the reason that this is even notable is because this, there's a story from Golf Digest that came out uh, basically a year ago. And uh, the quote from Kevin Kisner is talking about Patrick Reed. And I'll just read it here. It says, they all hate him. Any guys that were on that team with him there, referring to Georgia, hate him, and that's the same way at Augusta. I don't know if they'd piss on him if he was on fire to tell you the truth. That is pretty, uh, that's pretty pointed, uh, from Kevin Kisner. Now, I don't know if this will come up at all. I doubt it, but like, does golf, does golf need more beef? Do we need like, uh, WWE, uh, style action here where some of these guys actually hate each other? Does golf need it or is this beef? These are two separate questions to me. This, I think, has the potential to be beef. Does golf need the beef? No, I don't think it does. I think the game of golf is in a really strong place. I think there's plenty of talent to admire on the PGA Tour, and I don't think we need to be attracting viewers to the game from this. This isn't a it's – fun, it's fun to talk about. We'll have fun talking about it today, and it's definitely a story. It's definitely going to raise eyebrows, and it may be a pairing that people want to watch, but I don't think that this is what the game of golf is all about. I don't think the game is about uh, this rivalries that are – that, that come from off the golf course stuff. And, and I think that golfers, real golf fans, the core golf fan doesn't care so much about this. They care about what Patrick Reed's going to do when he gets on the golf course and what Kevin Kisner's going to do on the golf course. They care about watching Dustin Johnson and seeing how his knee is going to hold up. They care about watching um, players like that and, and seeing how they're going to, how they're going to handle a golf course like Kapalua at the plantation course. Definitely an interesting little wrinkle here. Uh, and I think it's an interesting wrinkle because I believe this is going to have an effect on the way Patrick Reed plays. I think Patrick Reed is a guy with, when he has, when he feels like his back's up against the wall, when he feels like he's being attacked, when he feels like somebody has said something about him, when you give him bullet, bulletin board material, Patrick Reed shows up to play and he does it time and time again. So an angry Patrick Reed is a guy to watch out for. And that's, I think, the biggest thing coming from this story. Yeah, I, I am 100% on board with that Patrick Reed take. We'll talk more about it. Um, on the other side, but it, it is an interesting wrinkle. I assume someone in the media will, will ask about this, but I, I agree, I agree with you. The, the game of golf, we talk about it all the time as deep as ever. Uh, so many great young studs. Um, it, it's, it does the entertaining by itself, right? We don't necessarily need this to fuel storylines because every week in and week out, we have so many great ones. All right. I couldn't agree more. All right. So we'll, here's what we'll do. We'll talk through, uh, some guys we like on DraftKings, some bets that we like, but first we're going to take a break and hear a word from our partners. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. And that's because the all new Hyundai Santa Fe has some great features like the available H track all wheel drive, standard third row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, and much, much more. So think about 
those places that you want to go, the things that you'd like to do this weekend and where the Santa Fe can take you. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Did you know that more than 75% of Americans will experience foot pain in their lifetime, but only 10% will seek out a solution for that pain. Those numbers do not add up to me. And I know it can be confusing the biomechanics of the foot, the bones, the muscles, everything in between, but solving foot pain is simple. And that's where super feet comes into play. These super feet insoles go into your shoes, give your feet comfort and support where they need it the most and redistribute the forces that reduce both stress and strain through your entire body, not just your feet. Insoles have been uh, phenomenal for me uh, personally, and they are clinically proven to decrease fatigue, reduce injury, and improve comfort. I can attest to that myself, especially when walking uh, a lot of golf holes that I play. So if you feel good, you play good, you look good, everything works out from there, and it starts from the bottom up. Visit superfeet.com and enter promo code FIRST at checkout for 15% off your first order plus free shipping. And we're back. All right, Greg. So we talked through the course. We talked through the field. Now it's actually time to dive into some of these golfers that we like. They might be overvalued or they might be undervalued. Uh, we'll start on the DraftKings side of this. So uh, just for those who don't have it in front of them, you know, the, the, the highest salaried golfers are as followed. It's John Rahm, Justin Thomas, Xander Shoffley, Dustin Johnson, and Patrick Cantlay, uh, ranging from $11,400 with John Rahm down to $9,800 with Patrick Cantlay. Now, we were kind of talking before uh, before we went live here, so I have a feeling that we're going to agree on the first guy that I have here, Greg, and it's Dustin Johnson at 10100 Did not have a great end to, uh, you know, the last year, kind of I said, you know, figuratively and literally limping to the finish line, uh, having to get a little knee procedure done in the off season. But I thought he showed enough at the President's Cup to be like, okay, he's he's probably put that behind him. Those results were probably indicative of the the knee situation that he had going on. He's uh, makes a ton of birdies, has played here a ton. He was your winner in 2018. This just feels like you know, a really good kind of buy low opportunity because I don't think we're going to see DJ be the fourth most expensive golfer very often. It doesn't happen very often. It, it hardly ever happens. So I, I agree with you. When you see him that far down the list, it makes you raise your eyebrows. You say, hey, well, why why is DJ that far down the list? Is he not playing well? Is he hurt? What will make what puts him so far down the list? And it's exactly what you mentioned. The end of the 2018, uh, 2019 season was a, was a difficult one for him. After the PGA Championship, where he came in solo second to Brooks Kepka, he didn't record a finish inside the top 20 for the remainder of the year. And for Dustin Johnson, that is surprising to say the least. So I, I do think looking at that part of the year, well, why, why, why is he falling so far in our sights? I think we just, we look at the game through such a microscope sometimes. And, and that's when, when we're handicapping events and, and we're looking at this saying, Hey, well, Dustin Johnson's not playing well. We're kind of forgotten about him. In our show last week, we hardly talked about him as we're previewing the majors. He, his name barely came up. And this is a reason why we're, we have a little bit of recency bias when it comes to this kind of thing. Now I do have a theory on the end of his year. And I think the knee, which you brought up, 
is an interesting thing. There's a kind of a parallel here between Tiger Woods and Dustin Johnson. Uh, after Tiger won the Masters, he didn't really do much for us the rest of the year. And eventually he had a, what they call a, a, a sort of a regular knee re, a, a knee clean out in the, the cartilage of his knee. And that was right after the tour championship. Well, Dustin Johnson, a couple weeks later, I think it was three weeks later after the PGA championship where he came in second, didn't record a top, uh, a finish inside the top 20. Well, he ends up having on September 5th, a, a little knee surgery and it took Dustin a longer time to recover than Tiger. And it, it was significant. It took him, I think it was 13 weeks to recover from his knee surgery. And Tiger was significantly less than that. Tiger was in the eight week range, um, at least to, to where he played his next tournament. So he, he was probably healthy preparing for the Zozo, which he won sooner than that. So I wonder what, if that issue in DJ's left knee was maybe a little more severe than it was for Tiger. So that is something, a, a nagging injury like that in the middle of the major championship season is something, Hey, maybe I can play through the pain a little bit. I can wait to get this fixed until the season's over. That's what he did. Didn't work out so well for him, but I think he probably had it done at the right time. So Coming into this year now at the plantation course here at Kapalua, this is a guy that has seven top tens in nine events. His worst finish ever at this golf course is a T16. He was T4 last year, and his career earnings at the Century Tournament of Champions is $3.6 million. So mm-hmm. he's done that's a good well that's here. a good career for some guys. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, would you take that right now? Sure. Yeah, yeah. One week in can Hawaii you, a send, year you were there you for send a it over? Yeah, send, send it on over. I'll take it. Yeah, just just let me know where uh, to find you on Venmo there. I'll, I'll shoot that your way. Awesome. It, well, it's for, it, it, he sets up perfectly for this golf course. I, I think you have to take him this week. Yeah, what I think is going to happen is, um, and and we can kind of go. He's also ten to one. I'm I'm also gonna I'm also gonna be investing in him financially. I mean, it, the thing is, he's gonna win at some point, whether it's this week or in the next couple of months, and you're never gonna get this price on him again. So I, I'm just sitting here like, okay, I'll I'll be the guy who buys low. I might be early this week. I might be early next time he tees it up. But like, you're you're going to miss out when he actually does raise the trophy again. Yeah, and, and he always seems to play well early on in the year. Again, I think this golf course setting up the way that it does, the price is only going to go up, as you said. And the reason for that is he's likely to record a top 10. He's very likely to record a top 10 this week. And so especially when it comes to DraftKings, uh, you, you got to put him on your list. But what do you make of the, this thing, this difference here? John Rahm all the way down to Dustin Johnson. There's a, a what is that, a $1,300 difference between them? Do you think John Rahm's overpriced, or do you think DJ's just way underpriced? I think DJ's way underpriced. So if you if you kind of look week to week, um, DraftKings will never get you will never get anybody really over like twelve thousand. So the fact that John Rahm, who is the betting favorite, is at eleven four, that's probably fair uh, because they really just kind of dictate these off of off of the odds is where the salaries come from. So I don't necessarily think that John Rahm is overpriced considering the guy nearly won his last three starts of the year. He uh, finished second at the Hero World World Challenge to to spoil that. So I, I think he's fine. I just think it's interesting that DJ, who you know I, I met. To you, Greg, if we woke up January 1st, 2021, and Dustin Johnson was the number one player in the world, none of us would be surprised at all. And and to have have him be $1,300 cheaper and the fourth most expensive golfer, I think the pricing error is on DJ. I, I think you're absolutely right on that. So are, are there any other players above DJ that you would consider taking on your team? I mean, I'm a massive uh, Xander fan. I'm a massive – like, like when, when they're this expensive – 
they're all great for a reason, right? Like Justin Thomas is awesome. Like Xander Shoffley is awesome. But in terms of just pure value, I just think DJ, you know, DJ is just as likely to win uh, as some of these other guys. And he's the cheapest one of their group. So, I mean, yes, I really like them, but uh, I will probably be gearing a lot of my lineups towards Dustin Johnson just because I think he's a really good starting point. And then I don't have to go like – We'll get down towards the bottom here. Like the the these guys fall off a cliff down at the bottom, and if and if you start playing a lot of John Rahm and a lot of Justin Thomas, you're going to have to play a lot of the guys down at the bottom to make your lineups work. And I'm a little bit worried about that. Interesting, because I, I look at Justin Thomas too here, and I think well, he's playing very well in the wraparound season. He was tied fourth the Safeway. He won the CJ Cup. He came in tied fifth at the Hero, and he led the Americans in points at the Presidents Cup. And he should have earned more points than he did. He he played very well, and he's played well at the Tournament of Champions as well. He was third last year, won it in 2017, and, and those are two of four appearances for him. Uh, I, I think Justin Thomas, the way that he's playing, is a guy that could really win this week as well. Is it possible to get a Justin Thomas and a Dustin Johnson on this team, or does that leave you with just scraps at the bottom? You'd be left with scraps now. The only so I probably won't end up doing that, but I I will say this: if there's a week to do it, it is probably a no cut event because these guys at the bottom who are sixty five hundred dollars and and cheaper, like they're gonna get four rounds of points just like everybody else. You don't have a risk of them missing the cut. Um, and really, if they finish like. 20th they might get you enough points if you're able to go with you know if rom and dj finish or i'm sorry jt and dj finish one two for example and these guys just all finish in the top 20 like you might be you might be okay um i just think it's it's gonna get really really ugly after those two guys interesting yeah so uh there's another guy here you you mentioned it um the, the Patrick Reed stuff, you know, he's $9,000. He's like the eighth most expensive golfer. He's sandwiched right in between Gary Woodland, who's 9,300 and Paul Casey, who's 8,800. And my big thing here is, um, yes, Patrick Reed has had a, a bad couple of weeks. He had the issue, um, you know, grounding his club, moving, improving his lie at the hero world challenge, um, was absolutely terrible at the president's cup, quite frankly. Uh, but before that, like his, like his results have been really good. He finished third in that, in that hero world challenge. Uh, he was racking up top tens at the end of the year. He won a playoff event last year. And to me, okay, I think there's two types of guys that come to Kapalua. There's guys that earned their way here and they use it as a vacation and they bring the family along and they say, we're going to Maui and uh, it's going to be a great week. It's going to be awesome. And then there's guys that are coming here to win. And with all that's going on with Patrick Reed, like I, I don't usually play the narrative game, but he has got to be chomping at the bit to shut everybody up. And I, I think a really good way to do that is come out and shoot 25 under par and win this thing and be like, yeah, I'm, I'm Patrick Reed. You know, I've won here before. Uh, like, I, I don't know. I just feel like if anybody is taking this tournament, like who's taking the tournament most seriously, I feel like Patrick Reed is near the top of the list. I think so, too. He's got a lot on the line. And we mentioned the pairing earlier with Kevin Kisner. I look at that situation just to uh, back up a little bit on that situation. I don't think Kevin Kisner was saying that he, too, hates Patrick Reed. I, I think if you look at what he said, he's kind of referring to what the rest of the guys on the team think of him. So yeah. there is a chance that Patrick Reed doesn't take what Kevin Kisner said personally and say, hey, Kevin Kisner's a bad guy because he said that about me. But I think it's more likely than not that Patrick Reed has Kevin Kisner's name on his bulletin board, and he's a guy that he wants to go out there and beat. And I think he's going to try for four rounds to go and beat everybody that he's playing with. It, it is so interesting when you watch Patrick Reed play, when his name is in the headlines, when there are 
negative comments about him. When he plays at the Masters and Rory is the clear favorite and Patrick is, is just simply outperforming him, he has a way of locking in. He can, he zones in and he has this way of, to block everything out. It, it's a, a very interesting thing that I see out of him and I think it allows him to perform really well, especially in situations like this. I love the Patrick Reed pick this week, not only because of all of that, but he has played well in the five events that he's played here. He has a win in 15. He has a second in 16, tied sixth in 2017. He's played some really good golf here. And I think his, I think he's in good form. I think his short game is the strongest part of his game. I think his putting is right up there with it. He's a guy that can uh, lag putt very, very well. He has very good hands. So that benefits him here. The other thing, the part of the weakness of Patrick Reed's game is he's not the longest hitter, but he also doesn't hit a lot of fairways. When you combine short and crooked, uh, that can be a problem, but this is kind of a golf course that, that that's not a bad thing. As we said, the ball's on the ground a lot. He's going to get a little more distance out of his tee shot, especially when he hits that tumbling draw he likes to hit, and he'll have room to let that ball roll down the fairway, and, and he'll probably hit more fairways than he would in a normal week. So I, I think Patrick Reed is shaping up to be a great pick this week. Yeah, I'm 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 with you. Hard to miss these fairways. Um, so below him, this eight thousand dollar range. Uh, Paul Casey, 8,800, Colin Morikawa, 8,600, Matt Kuchar, 84, and then it's rounded out by Cameron Champ at 82, Brendan Todd at 81, and Joaquin Neiman at 8,000. Anybody in there, this is kind of a, a little bit of a dead area for me, but is there anybody in there worth talking about? Well, nobody really jumps off the page to me. I think Colin Morikawa is a very interesting player to watch this year. I do think that there will be tournaments where he plays very well. I'm not going to invest too much in Colin Morikawa this week. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see on him. I don't think he's a guy that right now we have to jump and be early on, uh, especially because he's never played the golf course. Kucher, I don't think the golf course sets up very well for him either. I, I think he, I don't think he has the distance to really compete out here and take advantage of those par fives. So I'm not overly interested in him. Cameron Champ seems to be a player that's like riding a roller coaster. I guess in, in a non-cut event. Uh, we could be an all right week to take him if you need somebody in that value, but I'm not sold on camera champ hasn't done anything other than have a couple of hot weeks to me that really says, Hey, you got to watch out for this guy. Um, Brendan Todd would be the guy that stands out to me. And I, I think it's because of his recent form. He very nearly had three wins in a row, but again, he doesn't hit it very far. And I just, I, I worry about that a little bit. I, I, I think distance is going to be something that's going to really help, uh, the winner this week. Yeah, I had a little, uh, a little check mark and a little question mark next to Matt Kuchar because I didn't know what to do with him. Um, I, I think when you look at it and you see who he's priced around, both on DraftKings and in the betting markets, you know, the guys he's around are, are, are Morikawa, Cam Champ, uh, Brendan Todd, who we, who we talked about. And, you know, long term form, Matt Kuchar is mu- much better than these guys. Uh, but you're right. This course hasn't been all that great for him. I mean, he's got a handful of top tens, which is basically finishing in the top 30% of the field, uh, you know, this decade. But the last two times he's been here, uh, a T17 and a T19. And you're right. I'm just not sure this necessarily sets up for him. So I think you talked me out of him. I think I'm probably going to avoid. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think he's a guy that I would avoid this week. I, I don't look at him as being a, a great player. I think he, uh, well, no, I'm sorry. I shouldn't say it. Yeah, I do look at Matt Kuchar as being a great <laughs> player. I don't look at him being uh, the type of player that's going to really succeed here on this course. Could he? Of course he could. Will he? I don't believe so. And I, I would argue part of the reason is his, his putting. I, I don't think he's a great 
putter. Uh, I think he can putt well at times. And I think from long range, he has a little bit of a harder time. I don't look at his putting abilities and say he's going to be a guy that's going to avoid three putts. And when I look at this golf course and the way that players putt, I think you need to avoid three putts. Um, and, and for a Matt Kuchar, a guy who uses that arm lock putting method, three putting could be something that can pop up, especially with longer putts. He was 67th last year in three putt avoidance, which isn't terrible. It's, it's not the worst thing in the world. His approach putt performance was pretty good last year, but I worry that, that on these really big greens that are a little bit slower, he's going to have a little bit of a hard time. Yeah, now the the, the sub eight thousand dollar range. We don't have to go through all of these guys because it, it kind of falls off a cliff and then it falls off a cliff again a little bit towards the bottom. Uh, where these are a lot of your first time winners, guys that have never seen uh, Kapalua before. We're trying to figure out if they are a flash in the pan or if this is something that we're going to get out of them uh, over the next handful of years, where they're going to be playing here on the reg. But you know, a couple of things that jump out to me. Um, at the top of this, Matt Wolf, I'm just so excited about. You know, I think I think his his natural progression is some some version of of Dustin Johnson, where he's unbelievable off the tee, and it might take him six, seven, eight years to like figure out the rest of his game. Like when DJ went and was like, "All right, I hit wedge into every single green. I better get my wedges dialed in." And then he becomes the number one player in the world. And I think once Matt Wolf, who is I don't know, 20 years old. Um, like once he is able to put in that work, like I, I have so much hope for this kid, but I'm just not sure it's this, it's this week. I don't believe it's this week either. I think Matt Wolf has a lot of great things going for him. I think, uh, he has a system that he believes in. It's a, it's an unconventional golf swing in some aspects. Uh, it's a golf swing that definitely catches your eye. And when you deal with that, this is a guy that you know when, other people are walking up and down the range and they look at his swing. It, it's something that he has no doubt people have tried to change his swing throughout his career and yeah. said, hey, that's not going to work. And it's a, he's a player who's stuck with it. And he's had the discipline and the conviction in his own game to say, no, uh, this is the way that I believe works best. And he's found a coach in George Gankis that I think can help him with that. Uh, I think it's a guy who um, also believes in that golf swing and sees the way that it works rather than sees what it's not. And I think that's a really important thing. So now he, he's got some built-in conviction already. And I think that's highly beneficial for him throughout the career in a long-term sense. I do have some concerns about injury with him and the way that uh, his swing works. He has a lot of side bend in his swing, which mm-hmm. can be concerning. Um, but that being said, it's all possible. He can keep up with his body. He, he can do it. I think he can have a great career. As for this week, I think he's just a little too inexperienced. I think he's a little bit too young to come out and, and deal with a guy like Dustin Johnson and John Rahm and Justin Thomas and, and take those guys down because those guys hit it a long way as well. So a little a little uh, too immature, a little early for Matt Wolf this week. I do believe there will be a week later on in the year where Matt Wolf is a is a uh, a really really good pick. He, he's one of the more compelling guys that, you know, the net, we, we did a lot of like decade and review stuff, like the next decade, uh, very interested to see where Matt Wolf is on, on, on those lists, uh, uh, 10 years from now. But there's, uh, you know, uh, this starts to get to the range where I don't necessarily want to play a lot of these golfers, which is why it would be tough to, to jam, you know, DJ and, and JT into the same lineup. So I'm just going to kind of point out one more. And I think the true value guy here is Lonto Griffin. He's $6,500. He's like the sixth 
least expensive golfer here. And what I like about him, Greg, is uh, he played a lot in the fall season. And he played a lot of places that had the laser for strokes gain data. And he gained strokes in all four of the major uh, strokes gain categories. He's very, very consistent. He doesn't have one specialty. Um, so if, you know, the putter's not working well one day, he can make up for it around the greens. Or if he's not hitting his driver well, um, you know, it's, his approach game can kind of make up for it. So to me, he's very, very solid, which kind of, you know, shows in his results because he had those like six or seven straight top 20s in which he capped off with um, the victory at, at the Houston Open. Now, he missed the cut at the RSM, didn't necessarily play well uh, at Mayakoba, but the fall season altogether and the fact that he's like priced down here with, you know, no offense to Sung Kang or, or Graham McDowell or Nate Lashley, but like I think I think Lanto's a better player. I think Lanto's a better player too. Six straight top 20 finishes to start the year, as you mentioned. And what I really like about Lanto this week, and he will be on um, at least one of my teams, he, he averages 312 yards off the tee. He's got plenty of distance. And if he loses anything in the strokes gain category, uh, ranking-wise, it's likely because of his driving accuracy, which was down uh, so far this year 58% of the fairways that he hit. However, that stat, driving accuracy, can be very misleading. And one yeah. of the reasons is... You, you look at a place like the Houston Open when he won, and we actually on, on a, a new breed of golf had a chance to interview Lonto, and we asked him about the 18th hole and what he was feeling like. That's a hole with water on the left-hand side. He missed the fairway to the right of the uh, right bunker. <laughs> so he hit it. it. It looked like a really big miss off the tee, and he said that that was the center of the fairway for him. So nice. he, was, he, he hit a shot that missed the fairway that was exactly where he wanted to hit it because – He's in a situation now where he has to avoid a hazard. So I look at that as a little bit of a misleading statistic. And I, I think Lonto is an excellent driver of the ball. And I think he's a straighter driver of the ball than that number would say. And then also, he's a great putter. He he was ranked very highly in, in uh, strokes game putting. I think it's something he does very well week in and week out. And I think when you combine a guy who drives the ball very well and somebody who putts very well, you're in for a really a really nice round of golf, especially at a place like this. As we mentioned, you need to take advantage of par fives, you need to take advantage of short par fours, and you need to avoid three putts. I think those are the three keys this week. And Lonto can drive it far. He could take advantage of par fives. He could avoid three putts. He is an excellent pick this week. I love it. Um Let's put a bow on this and go through some of the the bets, and we kind of we kind of weaved them in throughout. Um, I mentioned I I've already invested in in Dustin Johnson at ten to one. I think that uh, Patrick Reed at fourteen to one by week's end will probably or you know within the next couple of days is probably going to get another click from me. Is there anybody else who you think is worth uh, a click or two? Anybody else I think is worth a click or two? It's so interesting to ask because it's a it's a challenging one i think gary woodland's probably a guy that deserves a look he played very well last year again had it stolen from him uh by xander shoffley shooting a 62 and he's in good form again he's he's playing well leading in he had he was tied third and at the zozo championship with tiger woods and and he had a strong fall season which to me making that president's cup team for Gary Woodland, I think it, it had a lot to do with the fall season. He didn't really show us a lot after the U.S. Open until the wraparound season in the fall. And I think he had a drive to, to show Captain Woods, hey, you, you need to take me on this team, and not just because I'm the U.S. 
Open champion, but because I'm in really good form. And he got paired with Tiger Woods, and he played very well uh, at the Zozo. And I, I believe, and I would argue, that Gary Woodland is going to have another great week this week. Yeah, Gary Woodland, 14 to 1, makes a lot of birdies. Uh, one of the leaders in this field in birdie or better percentage, which is going to come in handy, certainly, uh, this week when you're going to need to go really, really low, which is a perfect segue, Greg. It's like we've been doing this for years to my, uh, matchup bet that I have for you. So one of the matchups that I thought was most interesting was Gary Woodland, who's minus 118 versus Ricky Fowler, who's minus 116. So basically dead even straight up coin flip. It sounds like you like Gary Woodland in that matchup. I do. I, I like Gary Woodland a lot, and it, it's a coin flip for a reason because Ricky Fowler is a really right. strong player as well, and he can play a golf course like this well. Ricky is a guy I consider to be a chameleon. He can adjust to uneven lies very well. He can adjust to varying conditions very well. I just don't know if he's a guy that can go out there and get the job done, finish the job, and get a win. I, I To me, Gary Woodland has a stronger uh, conviction under the gun. I think Gary Woodland is a player when he's close around the lead is a player more likely to win than Ricky Fowler. For that reason, I think both these players will play well. I think Gary Woodland will have the edge. And a lot of that has to do with his distance. A lot of that has to do with the birdie average, which you mentioned. I believe he was fifth last year in birdie average. Uh, and, and his par five scoring is very good. And I, I think, Gary is is suited very well for this golf course. I'm not sure he's going to win. I, I don't like him as much as I like a Dustin Johnson, but I definitely like him more than Ricky Fowler, and I think he's going to be a part of the story this week. I, I certainly agree. Um, I don't think I have to add anything else to that. I, I think Gary Woodland is a is the right side of it. Um, the other one that I had here, which I thought was interesting, and this is how we'll wrap this. Uh, Justin Thomas minus 155 versus Xander Shoffley plus 135. That's a pretty significant, uh, gap between the two guys who are literally back to back in the odds here. Uh, do you have a favorite side of this one? I love both these players, just yeah. like you do. So this is a real challenge for me. I, I think Justin Thomas is in slightly better form. Xander is in strong form as well. I give a, a slight edge to Justin Thomas in that sense. I, I think Justin is a little bit, probably a little bit more mature of a player, probably has a little more experience here at Kapalua. Both players have won in the past. Is Xander going to have to rely on another 62 to go out there and win? I don't know, but sometimes it, that can be a little bit challenging. It was it, it was feeling so easy for him on Sunday last year, and is that going to happen again this year? I don't know. I don't know. I, I think, to me, when I look at Justin Thomas, he is a little bit more steady. He's a little bit more durable, as I would say. So I don't think Justin Thomas is going to have to rely on a, a great final round or a great round at some point in the tournament. I don't think he's going to have to shoot a 62 to win. I think Justin is a player who can go shoot 67, which is five under, four days in a row and be right there. Xander, I don't know if he has quite that durability, although it's very close. We're really splitting hairs here, but my slight edge goes to Justin Thomas. Yeah, I agree. It's super close. Love, love both of these guys for, uh, sake of arguments. Uh, I'll, I'll take Xander at 135. Uh, I just think that when you have guys this close, I'll just take the plus money. So, um, certainly, certainly not, no, nothing wrong with either of these golfers. Very much looking forward to how this plays out this week. All right. That'll do it. For another episode of the First Cut Podcast, I'd like to thank Greg Ducharme, who you can follow on Twitter, at TheRealGFD. If you like what you heard, do us a favor, give us a little five-star rating and review on iTunes. We'll be back on Friday to preview what the weekend has in store at Kapalua. Until then, 
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.